This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with former NFL quarterback Sage Rosenfeld. Sage, how are you? I'm doing great. Looking forward to the show again today. All right. So let's start out by taking a quick look at what you saw on tape and I as well. I went through the tape uh, yesterday and uh, the first thing that stuck out to me, Sage, was naturally how they created big plays in the run game. And you know, they, they were missing David Morgan for a game, and you wouldn't think a whole lot of that because it's the number two tight end. But in today's game, I feel like having a number two tight end that can really stick a linebacker in a hole or who can catch it when you throw it at him, it's a pretty darn valuable thing to have, and the Vikings have it in David Morgan. Yeah, and, and there was a couple blocks in that game. One uh, for the, <clears throat> I believe it was the first touchdown of the game to Latavius Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was right at the point of attack there in the ball. I believe went right behind him, uh, and and there was a nice hole there. David Morgan reminds me a lot of Joel Jerison. He was a teammate of mine with the Texans. He ended up sort of finishing his career with the Broncos, Colorado State kid. And Joel was uh, sort of the master of attention to detail, just the precision of the footwork and, and the exact sort of position of where you're supposed to be. Uh, and Morgan does a lot of those same things. You know, he's just a high-quality, you know, number two guy. I actually think he does a pretty good job when he's out running routes. They use him more of a blocker, but uh, I've always thought he's a pretty good route runner and has pretty good hands as well. So he does a really nice job of just knowing exactly what the defense is going to be doing, where the defense is going to be, uh, and then sort of adjusting his footwork and, and his block angles accordingly. And and uh, yeah, he was you know very much responsible. You know, part of the entire offensive line, of course, but you, you can see the difference in some of those backside cutoff blocks or all those blocks at the point of attack. When David Morgan's in there, he's also the type of guy that'll make like 12 catches a year, but all of them ended up being in big spots or something like that. Or when Kirk Cousins needed an outlet on the run and he was able to find him. So yeah, I think it's one of the things that John D. Filippo has done pretty well, where, you know, you see CJ Ham in there for 12 or 13 plays a game. You see Morgan in there for 20 plays a game. He's constantly mixing the personnel. And even though we focus so much on just the two guys on uh, Thielen and Diggs, that he's utilizing every part of this offense. And I noticed, too, Sage, that this year he's been using Kyle Rudolph a lot to get matched up with defensive backs in blocking situations. That We've criticized Rudolph in the past for his lack of ability to block, but if he's going one-on-one with a defensive end, it's pretty tough. Uh, it seems like using him lining up as a wide receiver and getting him on some of those screens or even on... Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, they had trips to the right-hand side, and, and he had tied into his left-hand side. He's, you know, a lot of times in those situations, in particular on third downs, 
teams will either play uh, coverage in which they'll you know they'll be conserved, they'll just rush four or even rush three and really just try to keep the ball in the end zone, make the team check it down uh, or throw it away, or they'll come after you and say either you're going to score a touchdown uh, or we're going to blitz you and maybe even try to get you out of field goal range or something like that, create a turnover you know, on third downs and on that play. The Vikings came after him with the cover zero look. Rosen saw the look, made the correct check. He actually had Larry Fitzgerald for a touchdown on that play uh, and threw a, you know, I think a uh, a too low of a ball. You know, that's one of those you can put air on it. And the really neat thing about when you get cover zero uh, is that you can sort of fade back. If you feel a lot of times there's one more coming, you know, there might be uh, uh, eight coming, but you're only protecting with seven. So, you know, at some point, you know, the furthest guy is going to hit you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, if you buy a little time, maybe fade back a little bit. The nice thing is there's no safety back. There's no free safety. Uh, you just got to let sort of let Larry Fitzgerald beat his guy. You can throw it sort of out in front of him uh, with some air on it and let him run underneath it. And then he sort of chose to stay in the pocket, which is fine. The pocket actually, he had a little, he had enough time, uh, but he threw a, threw a flat ball uh, and Anthony Barr knocked it down. And that was a, uh, you know, that was a four point swing. So let me go back to something you were talking about with Cousins and the interception. So I'm watching Aaron Rodgers the other night, and uh, I know that there's really not a comparison between one of the top 10 quarterbacks ever versus Cousins, who's just a, a good NFL quarterback. But one thing I notice with Rodgers is that when something isn't there, he will just wing the ball out of bounds. And he seems to do that pretty often. I have not seen Kirk do that very much, and I was wondering on that play, so your protection breaks down, somebody misses a block, and there's a guy in your face. That seems like a situation where just chuck it out of bounds and, and live to play another day. And I, I don't feel like uh, Case Keenum did that very often last year and played with fire quite a bit, and it eventually burned him against the Saints and the Eagles. And with Cousins, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Is that something that you sort of think through or that you work on of when to just chuck the ball out of bounds? Or is it something that just goes quarterback to quarterback? Well, you're not going to sit there and practice and do some sort of drill where the pocket breaks down and just whip the ball out of bounds. You don't have <laughs> yeah, time to, you enough. know, you'd rather be throwing to wide receivers and trying to complete passes. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah, I mean, it's something that you obviously talk about, you know, throwing the ball away, living for another day. Uh, you know, that's a really big, uh, uh, phrase you hear amongst quarterbacks, you know, in particular when you're in the red zone, but you know, on first down, second down, Hey, lived, lived, uh, uh, you know, live for another day here. You don't have to make the play. Uh, it said in particular on first down or even on third down. You know, I, I had a college coach, Steve Loney, Viking fans re- may remember him. He was an offensive coordinator, offensive line coach up there for a few years in the early 2000s. He used to talk about if we would go into a game and end every position, every possession with some sort of kick, mm-hmm. uh, a punt, an extra point, a field goal, you know, we would win that football game. He's basically saying, don't turn the ball, if we don't turn the ball over and we just sort of do our thing. Uh, you know, we're not to play perfect football, but you can, you know, punting's okay. Punting's okay in the NFL a lot of times. And, you know, that'd be something that, you know, I think Kirk, uh, he's a perfectionist and he really wants to, uh, uh, you know, have a, have an offense and be a quarterback that, you know, makes a lot of positive things happen. And sometimes the, the most positive thing you can do is stay away from the negative. Uh, and that's those interceptions or untimely turnovers. Now, the balls that got knocked down, I, I got an email about that and you can probably answer the question. Is, is this something that, you think is a Kirk Cousins issue or is it just that's what happened on that day and it's kind of random there was a stat that he's like ninth or something for balls knocked down but I mean he throws the ball all the time so I was thinking that it's just kind of that's how it worked out that day and it's random 
but he also doesn't really shuffle himself in the pocket. He kind of anchors down in one spot and tends to stay there. Well, he, yeah, I don't think he's anything, you know, particularly bad, uh, you know, that or that happens to him. You know, it might happen to him a little more often than, than other quarterbacks. You know, David Carr, when I played with David, he had balls knocked down all the time. And, and people always attributed to the fact that he had to sort of a lower throwing motion sort of mm-hmm. threw off of his, sort of threw off of his shoulder. Um, but it wasn't that. It's because he was looking at the receivers for too long. Uh, and, uh, and so the linemen have a chance then to know where the quarterback's eyes are and you stick your arm up and you knock balls down. So that was, that was his issue. Uh, Blake Bortles gets a ton of balls knocked down. Uh, every time I watch a Blake Bortles game, it seems like three or four every game, uh, where, you know, I think this was a little bit of anomaly this week. I mean, he does seem to have one ball knocked down every week. That does happen. You know, there's four or five guys there with, with two arms rushing with big mitts. Uh, sometimes you, you don't, you're not really looking for a, I've never, you know, people like Doug Flutie would talk about he would look for passing lanes. You know, I never really did that so much. I was tall enough where you could sort of look over and, and I wasn't trying to move myself in the pocket to find an actual lane to throw to. I was trying to you know, figure out the coverage and see where my guys were and, and if they were actually open. So, uh, you know, I think one thing with Kurt is he doesn't change his arm angle very often. Um, some people look at it as a negative, like, oh, he, you know, somebody threw it sidearm a little bit. I always look at it as a positive. I think it's okay to certain throws you can't change your feet and it's okay to sidearm it a little bit or on the screen or something Mm -hmm. he is so fundamentally sound uh that he sort of has that same motion you know every single time and and doesn't really change it up and maybe that would that would be something that he could sort of add to his repertoire uh you know as his career develops doug flutie might be our journeyman quarterback of the week when they play new england that might be a good one I've got a great story about that. It has to do with a drop kick extra point. Yes, I remember that. I, I was there that. for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, you're just, <laughs> just kind of like there for all these moments. Um, so, by the way, Doug Flutie, I remember the conversation so much about balls getting batted down because he was short. And yet the guy was so much of a gamer that he went to the playoffs with them twice and then the uh, owner decides to sit Flutie down to play Rob Johnson. I mean, this is like yeah. my childhood. We had Flutie Flakes, Sage. My family had Flutie Flakes. <clears throat> Flutie was a straight-up baller. Like, he was that. You know, he was like he was like Johnny Manziel without the drugs. He was just a straight, <laughs> straight baller. You know, Doug Flutie never – I don't think he's ever had a sip of alcohol in his life. Really? Wow. Actually, yeah. He's, he, he's, a, he's just a gym rat. Like, he would play basketball during the week. You know, after football practice or on like Monday nights or something or Tuesdays. I mean, he, the guy was just, uh, he just loved sports and loved, uh, loved to compete. And, and, you know, maybe it's like just, um, Napoleon, Napoleon complex, uh, you know, times 10 or something, but uh, he loves to you know, try to overcome his, his uh, height disadvantage. And he probably looks at it as an advantage. And sometimes it might be the way he could move and run around. They usually can't do that when you're six four or six five. I remember a play in one of his first starts where they were at the goal line trying to win a game, I believe against Jacksonville, and somebody got the call wrong, and then he just pulled it down and ran it in for the game-winning touchdown himself. Like, going off script was his thing, and it was so fun to watch. That was, like, some of the best. I've gone back and actually watched the season back, like the games that are on YouTube, because he was so much fun to watch. Uh, why don't you just tell the dropkick story, because we're talking about it. Really? Just just go ahead. We'll find another Patriots quarterback. Okay. Well, we're, uh, we are playing 
uh, I believe 2005. Uh, I am the number two quarterback in Miami. Uh, Nick Saban is our head coach. Jason mm-hmm. Garrett's my quarterback coach. Scott Linehan, the offensive coordinator. We're playing up in New England last game of the year. We have nothing. Uh, we're out of the playoffs. The best we can, we're eight and seven. We, we, we actually had won six in a row, um, going into that game. Uh, and, uh, we were eight and seven, but we knew we were already out of the playoffs. The Patriots were, you know, whatever they were, you know, 14 and one or whatever it was. And, um, we're up, uh, late in that ball game. Uh, they end up scoring. And, uh, yeah, they, they bring Flutie out onto the field and, uh, we, we didn't call a timeout or anything. We, they brought Flutie out on the field and I thought to myself, like, you know, it's like, what are they doing? You know, Tom Brady's not even in the game. And he's like a, if I believe he was like an empty formation basically. And he was about seven yards deep. They snapped it to him and he drop kicked it, dropped it on the ground and kicked it, and made the extra point. And I personally thought it was like the coolest thing. I was like, oh, that is amazing. You know, I, for some reason, I'd sort of forgotten that Flutie was, you know, Boston College and we're back in New England and, mm-hmm. and you know, how special that might have been. I knew he was retiring at the end of the season. And uh, I thought, like, that was such a cool moment. And I think I was even, like, sort of smiling about it. And then I, then I like, heard all the coaches just screaming at the other. Like, they thought it was just sort of a slap in the face mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that, you know, Belichick would, would do something like that to us. And. I believe we ended up winning the game. Gus Fratt was a starting quarterback. We Gus won seven over the end of that season. Yeah, another another backup, Man. but uh, and ended up uh, ended up uh, uh, winning that game, I believe. And and but I, yeah, I was I was there for the sort of famous Doug Flutie drop kick, and and I had a much different reaction than probably every other person on my <laughs> sideline. <laughs> I thought awesome. it was awesome. So the drop click, the the rule on it is that you you it just has to like touch the ground. So you just drop it and it bounces straight back up, and you kick it as it's sort of bouncing. Yeah, well, there's no rule that says you have to have a holder, right? Oh, right. The rule right. is the ball has to the ball has to hit the ground uh, before it's kicked, uh, I believe. So that's why you have a holder who puts it on the ground. Uh, but yeah, I, I I drop kicks are obviously illegal. I don't know what the exact wording is. Um, but yeah, you, you obviously don't have to have a holder. You can't just punt it through. You got to hit the ground, and so you sort of hit, you almost kick it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's sort of like a soccer ball. You kick the uh, kick the football, uh, you know, a tenth of a second after the ball hits the ground. So I, I I used to watch Flutie, you know, Flutie, Drew Brees. There is this sort of group of quarterbacks um, around the league that before the games, you know, two and a half hours, two hours before the games, you play these different sort of. Uh, quarterback games. You, you, you see the Saints do it all the time in training camp. Breeze has all of these quarterback contests. You know, sometimes uh, Sean Payton gets in them. Uh, they but they have all these throwing contests. And you know, there's the crossbar throw. There's the, uh, the the field goal post bar throw. Uh, there's this little punting game where you try to corner, you know, cough and corner somebody in the in the in sort of a little area and try to you know stall the ball right in the corner and who can get closest to the goal line. Uh, Flutie just loved. Uh, let's say love to compete and play games and, and do all sorts of things. And honestly, I, I had seen him many times kick, you know, 40 yard field goals by drop kicking them in those, those pregame sessions. And I'm sitting there thinking if I try this, I'm going to pull, uh, you know, a quad muscle or something like that. And that'd be the end of my day. So I wasn't even trying it, but yeah, he was, uh, you know, just sort of a, he was a gym rat and it's very unsurprising that he would sort of master something like that. A little bit of that here. I saw number four quarterback, Peter Pujols from, 60 yards away hit the crossbar 
and uh, nobody else could do it. Like the other Vikings quarterbacks tried, they all missed, and the number four guy from I forget even like, New Mexico State or something. <laughs> just, the, he got to he got to win that day, and then um, that was that was pretty much it for P- Peter Pujols. That was his lone. The, well, the, the Vikings cor- the Vikings quarterbacks are doing that in pregame also. Is that your you're saying you saw that at a practice. They they did do it last year with Teddy and Case, but this was in a training camp practice where they were all coming off the field and they were trying to hit the crossbar and everybody else missed, but the number four guy got it. So good for him. Yeah, well, there you go. The, the real way to play the game is you actually start on the goal line and you work your way back. Oh, okay. Uh, then and you get and you get like you know you get two attempts or whatever. So um that that's the actual game it's sort of a it's sort of like horse or something like that but you're really just moving back once everyone hits it then you move back to the five or the ten and slowly work your way back and i've i've been to that game on the other side of the 50 that's a it's a very fun quarterback game to play and if nobody hits you keep going right uh and then there's the game of two hit all hit that's the whole thing also if you have like four quarterbacks in it and if two guys hit it everyone stays in right so there's a, a lot of ways to play that game it's it's a Part of the quarterback fraternity's uh, uh, game kit that you get when you uh, <laughs> when you get drafted in the NFL. <laughs> I, I'm glad that there are some elements of the NFL that are like what my brother and I used to do on Sunday mornings in the backyard. So that's pretty fun. Um, let me ask you about another guy, Sam Darnold, who has a bit of gamerness to him too. When he was at USC, I made an effort to watch as many games as I could, and he had a knack of making the most ridiculous throw you've ever seen, and then the worst throw you've ever seen, and that has been kind of his Jets career so far where he's dropping bombs at times. And then, you know, his first throw of his career is across his body, across the field for a pick six. Well, he's being asked to do a lot. You know, they're not a great football team. And, and I, whether are they three and three? I feel like they're, they're three and three right around 500, but they, they just don't have very many weapons on offense. I mean, you look at what a guy like Pat Mahomes has or shoot even what, uh, what, what Cousins or, or Mitchell Trubisky has in Chicago now. They've got a lot of weapons in Chicago. Um, they just don't have those types of guys with the Jets. They probably have, they may have the worst weapons in the NFL. Uh, so he's doing a nice job. He's probably trying to do a little bit too much, but you know, I like the fact that Jeremy Bates, their offensive coordinator, uh, who I think is a fantastic coach and, you know, someday I think soon will be a head coach. Uh, he does a really nice job of trying to put him in position and not trying to sort of uh, uh, you know, put the, the shackles on him and, and, you know, cause him to, you know, try to be like a robot. He lets him try to be a playmaker. He is that at heart. Uh, he, he is also a very good, you know, pocket passer. He's pretty dang accurate and, and he usually makes good decisions. But yeah, you know, he's a young guy. He's 21 years old, I think, mm-hmm. or something. So the fact that he's even playing halfway well. Uh, I, I, you got to find it really exciting if you're a Jets fan. And you saw that uh, Josh McCown has a daughter the same age as Sam Darnold? I did see that. Yeah. I did. I did see. I feel like, I think the McCowans both have like five kids or something like that. They, they like to, like to have those babies. But, uh, yeah, Mc, Mc, you know, he started young McCowns, but he's, he's 39. He's probably almost 40. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, he must have started pretty young to have, to have a, a, a 21 year old daughter. Yeah. No, I think he, yeah, I think he did like, uh, at the end of high school, but, uh, we, we don't judge on this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, with this with this Jets game, I mean they are three and three, so it's not like this is a team that you say is like Arizona that's just falling apart, and they're talking about trading everyone, everything like that. But this still strikes me, Sage, big picture, as a game that if you're the Vikings and you want to be a Super Bowl contender, that 
it is a take care of business game where you go to New York, you win, and then it's the real deal. Then it's on. You're playing New Orleans. But um, this team has a good enough defense, it looks like, to not overlook. But still, I, I feel like if you're a Vikings fan, after what they did to Arizona, what they did on the road to Philadelphia, this is this is one that you should feel like your team can just go in and win. Yeah, the Vikings, you know, they, they should win this football game. But, you know, again, this is the NFL. They got their, you know, you know, they got uh, destroyed by the Buffalo Bills not too long ago. So they're going to have to play the right game. And if they don't, uh, the Jets are one of those teams. I feel like if you let them hang around, uh, they've got they have confidence and and, uh, and they've beaten some good teams this year. But if you let them hang around, um, they're one of those young football teams that, you know, they they'll believe they can win this football game. You know, so uh, it's it's a game that. You know, if the Vikings want to be a playoff-bound team, uh, this is when you have to chalk up because there's some definitely tougher ones down the road. Uh, you know, Chicago, this is, I watch Chicago every single week now. Uh, I do this uh, uh, radio show in Chicago, and, and we talk about Mitchell Trubisky. That's a good football team, and they got a good defense, and they have a lot of weapons on offense. And obviously, we got to see uh, the, uh, the the Packers again, and, and sure, you never know with the Lions. And so, that you know, the Vikings, this is when the Vikings have to win, and uh, and they should win this weekend i don't think i ever asked you how you had the quarterbacks ranked who came out in the first round like during the draft process i mean did you watch enough of them to sort of have your order in your mind where you who you thought was the best one who you thought was in the middle who you thought was the worst one uh you know i didn't have them exactly ranked i i looked at them as you know what are the positives what are the negatives what are the concerns you know there was no like perfect you know, Andrew Luck, this guy is big, strong, he can, but he can move. He's got his accurate arm and he has, you know, he fits all these, you know, uh, uh, check, he checks all the boxes type of guy. But everyone had their different weaknesses. You know, you Baker Mayfield scared you because he's like, you know, six one, mm-hmm. he's shorter. Uh, obviously his sort of immaturity in college, uh, uh, Darnold concerned you because he turned the ball over too much in college. Uh, and he was so young. I mean, he was 20 years old. Uh, and you know, Josh Allen has like the, like the biggest upside, the, the highest ceiling. Uh, but there's obviously, you know, I, I never like quarterbacks that aren't accurate, mm-hmm. right? Um, Lamar Jackson, unbelievable athlete, but you know, definitely not a, a, a great passer, uh, in college. But you know, the college game, the windows are a lot bigger and he wasn't super accurate. But when you look back, uh, and after the whole draft happened, you look at the two things I like to talk about, and that's decision making and accuracy. And Baker Mayfield was the best decision maker, at least on the field, uh, amongst these <laughs> rookie quarterbacks. Yes. Uh, and accuracy wise, he was actually the most accurate as well when you broke it down with all that pro football focus and all that stuff. Uh, he was the most accurate. So I probably liked him the most. I, I thought Darnold was going to be the first pick. I just really didn't think that Baker, and I think Baker is going to be a really good quarterback. He is really fun to watch. He's a guy. He's got that flutie sort of magic in him a little bit with a stronger arm. Yeah. Uh, and he's a really accurate thrower. So he sort of has that, um, that savvy that I, that gamesmanship that I love, you know, for a quarterback. And, you know, the concern was his, his immaturity, you know, and you, you give a guy 30, 35, $40 million guaranteed and say, you're going to be the most famous person in town, mm-hmm. uh, which he probably is after LeBron's gone now. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that usually doesn't help people become more mature. I liked Rosen the most, but I think he got dropped into the worst situation. Just the weapons, the offensive line is a complete abomination. He's got to play right away. I didn't think he would have to play right away, but then as things didn't work out for Sam, I understand why they turned it over to him, but 
You saw last week there's glimpses of excellence with him, but very few opportunities to sit back there and actually throw the ball with it and no running game whatsoever to help him out. And Larry Fitzgerald is on the other side and it just, it does not have a whole lot of help there. Yeah, that was, that was probably the worst situation. I mean, shoot, the, the Buffalo Bills were in the playoffs last year. So you can't say that was a terrible situation for Josh Allen. The Cleveland situation is, is, you know, they, what they won one ball game or something in a couple of years. And so they had been terrible. So you can't say that was a great situation either, though they made a ton uh, of moves in the offseason, now, which it was not just with draft picks, but with trades and, and signing, you know, big time free agents like Jarvis Landry. So that's, that was a situation that drastically improved uh, in the, you know, six or seven months since the, since 2017 ended. Uh, but yeah, I, I liked Rosen coming out, but he was, Rosen was the guy who probably had the shortest ceiling uh, of all those quarterbacks, but was sort of like maybe the most ready to come in, run an NFL offense, uh, and uh, and sort of execute. As I said, I, I like I sort of see him as a Kirk Cousins type. Mm, yeah. uh, isn't going to blow you away with magical plays, uh, but has a really nice arm, and over time can be a, a, a quarterback who does a really nice job of executing. But I just don't. I never saw the. Uh, you know, that really high ceiling of, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, right. uh, you know, or, or whatever, the guy that's going to be a, a Hall of Famer. I didn't see Josh Rosen as a, as a Hall of Famer waiting to happen, but the other guys were guys that probably had that higher ceiling, but more, uh, you know, more negatives on that checklist. Okay, let's wrap up with our journeyman quarterback of the week. It's time for Matthew and Sage to honor one of the NFL's great journeyman quarterbacks. Ray Lucas is our journeyman quarterback of the week. One of my all-time favorite players to sign on Madden, put him in. He was fast. He had a strong arm on Madden, and you could always make crazy plays with him. In real life, Sage, he had a year where he went 6-3 and three as a starter, and I've got some Wikipedia gems, as always, from our journeyman. Let me give them to you. Ray Lucas was born out of wedlock, his Wikipedia reads. Well, his father, Tom, was serving in Vietnam. His mother became pregnant by another man. Later, Tom married Ray's mother and raised him as his own. So, a little TMI there, I guess, from Wiki. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, I feel like I want to apologize to Ray for his Wiki saying that. My God. <laughs> you like to think you can go back in and do some editing or something. I mean, maybe maybe that's a, that's a part of the story, I guess. That's the way it is. Uh, the other one, Ray Lucas holds the distinction of the worst single-game quarterback performance by any Dolphin. So that's not you. Uh, on October twentieth, two 2002, in a game against the Buffalo Bills, he was responsible for six turnovers, four interceptions, two field goals. He completed only 13 passes to Dolphins receivers. And uh, the player that caught the most passes from Ray Lucas that day was Nate Clements, a Buffalo cornerback. Yes, that made Nate a, a crap load of money. I think he ended up signing like San a, Francisco. And, and yeah, I feel like it was like an eighty million dollar quarter uh, a contract, which was absolutely. And then maybe it was like a ten year contract or something, but that was sort of unheard of back in those days. And he wasn't the best corner on the Bills. That. It was Antoine Winfield was the best corner on the Bills. That's right. They, 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 that's how that defense was good. I was the backup in that game. Jake Fiedler started our season. This was my only year with Ray Lucas. I was. Uh, you know, rookie year in Washington, traded the next year to Miami, and that was the number three guy behind Fiedler and, and Ray Lucas. And and Ray came in, and, and guys, and like he was maybe the most likable guy on the team. Hmm. Uh, everyone loved him. Defensive guys loved him. Uh, you know, he was uh, uh, he was sort of a hothead, 
uh, definitely had the strut and the confidence and and was was sort of an old school guy. You know, he was a, a Parcells guy uh, early in his career with with, the, with New England and, and the Jets. Uh, so he sort of had that, you know, not the, uh, you know, he, he wasn't a guy that did things, you know, in a pretty way as a quarterback. He, he loved to run. He, he was not a guy that was going to slide. He was very tough, uh, play through injuries. But yeah, his first start after, uh, after Jay got hurt, uh, Ray comes in and it was just, and the thing is, he started off, I think on the first drive, it was like boom, 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 right down the field, had like three great throws, touchdown. Here we go. Ray's playing great. He's probably thinking he's going to be a starting quarterback for the rest of the year. And then the whole thing just fell apart. It was just one interception after another. Yeah. I think Nate Clements may have had three interceptions that day or something like that. Maybe even he had, had all four. I'm not even sure. But yeah, that was, uh, I, I, I believe, I believe looking back, I may have gotten in, gotten in at the end of that game since we're getting blown out so much, but I can't remember. Uh, Ray Lucas, as all journeymen do, has a couple of great games, just absolutely fantastic games. 31 for 48, 284 yards, four touchdowns against the New York Giants in a loss that year, 1999. And then he had another game where he threw three touchdowns and had 115 quarterback rating in a win over your former Dolphins. He had his day. He had his day. And uh, uh, another Ray Lucas story, he was telling the story when he was um, with the Patriots. He was their third-string guy. And he, uh, because of that, he was a special teamer. Actually, Parcells loved him as a special teams guy, not just a quarterback. So he actually was on special teams. And, and in that game, uh, there is a, uh, a kickoff that he was on the kickoff team. And, uh, well, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the guy returner for a touchdown for the Packers. Um, Desmond Howard. Desmond maybe. Howard. Yeah. Desmond Howard. Yeah. So he kicks off, he runs down. You know, turns around, runs all the way back, chases Desmond Howard. He does it, strut him to the end zone. And he said that uh, somebody asked him, like, what did Parcells say after that play? And he said, I did not even walk off the field. I went right back to where we're going to be on kickoff return because he was on kickoff return, you know, team two. So he was like, I had no wanting to go to the sideline. I just stayed on the field and went right to my kickoff return spot. I was not going to go over there uh, and hear, hear Parcells, you know, yell at everybody for return to allowing a, a kickoff return for a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Man, that's it's so random. And, and before you told me that, <laughs> I, I did not know that uh, he was on special teams before becoming a quarterback. How about that? See, those backups, you got to have some savvy to that's stick right. around for a while. You got to – you can't just – if you're just a quarterback, you're not going to make it at all. So you got to add other value. You got to be a holder sometimes, you know, whatever whatever the team needs. So I found the box score – I do not see you throwing any passes in this game from when uh, Lucas threw four interceptions. So you may have gotten in but not thrown any passes. And you were correct in your memory that Nate Clements had three interceptions, including a pick six in that game in which Ray Lucas had a 26 quarterback rating. So Ray Lucas is the second player I ever played with from Rutgers University. My first was Marco Battaglia, who was oh. Ray Lucas's <laughs> tight end who is a second-round pick, played in the league for a long time, played for the Bengals for most of his career. Marco Battaglia hmm. uh, was, a, was a good friend of mine back in the day. So, yeah, Rutgers University, which might be the worst Division One college football team yes. uh, out there. They are absolutely atrocious. That's what I was going to say, that, uh, you know, they didn't send a whole lot of guys into the NFL. I, I forgot. Ricky Williams, man. You got to play with Ricky Williams, huh? I did for, um, you could sort of say, Four years, but I guess it was really three years or something. So 
two years and they took that break year off in which our team fell apart. That's right. And then they came back for that, for that Nick Saban year in 2005. Yeah. So there's uh, I got a few Ricky stories out there too. Most of them I'll probably keep to myself. <laughs> All right. We'll get some out of you at, uh, at some point, maybe when the Vikings play the Dolphins, but Sage, I've kept you for a long time, but a lot of awesome, awesome stuff as always. And so thank you for your time and thank you all for listening to the purple podcast. Everything's getting more expensive these days, gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash bestmusic to get Live One Plus now. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.